this play is a classic because it is invigorating and activating and radicalizing without pulling its punches. This play is a classic because it touches at your heartstrings, but also makes you think. This is our history. This is our legacy. Hello, and welcome to This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon Theater podcast. We're your hosts. Shannon Corinthian, curator and director of production for Hedgepig Ensemble Theater. And me, Sky Pagan, curator and Hedgepig Ensemble member. And we're here to introduce you to some plays by women that are classics. Expand the Canon is a program of Hedgepig Ensemble, a Brooklyn-based company that reimagines the classics, creating a legacy of storytelling with gender equity at its core. Today on this episode, we will be talking about a Happy Country by Marusha Vilalda. You can find this pitch on our website. If you're seeking a play about revolution where the family drama is a political drama, consider this powerful portrait of love, protest, class, and voyeurism. This play follows the recently impoverished Menes family in an unnamed Latin American country as complex conversations are brought to the foreground by the arrival of a white tourist staying in their home. How do you balance your activism with your desire to just live? Do you fight for your family or your country? And how do you be an ethical tourist in a culture that is not your own? This play leaves an audience asking all the right questions and drawing their own timely parallels. Dum, dum. So wow, uh, all right, okay. I remember talking about this play right after we had all read it, which is funny because I think we all read it around the same time. I will say I'm going to come in here and be selfish and be like, I read this play first. You did. Uh, I did you read did. this play first. <laughs> and it, it was one of the first, I think it was one of the first ones I read in 2021 mm-hmm. um, and just immediately was like, oh, this one. Mm. We talk a lot in our meetings about like, we want to make a list for this project that is accessible to a modern audience that speaks to modern conversations and themes and what's going on in our modern world today. And this was one that I read and immediately was like, oh, today, <laughs> like this is literally happening now. Yep, uh, It's just so frighteningly relevant and it's like so political and so unapologetically political, which I love. And it's just always so freaky when a, a play like just speaks so perfectly to the moment. Yeah. These lists that we create are very much representative of this motif that happens through history of just like it repeating itself. This was one that stood out because of its timeliness. This question of how can you be an ethical tourist in a culture that isn't mm-hmm. your own is, is really relevant, regardless of whatever culture you come from. Yeah. To your point, like really came up so much during COVID, I think. Like, I am glad that it sort of opened a wider conversation, which I think needs to happen about the sort of tourism industry and how a lot of time it's a lot of the time it's so voyeuristic mm-hmm. and it's about centralizing a sort of sanitized whitewashed version of a specific country or a specific culture that will appeal to yeah. white western sensibilities and allow you to like experience the the nice food and right. the pretty flowers without engaging with any of the people as real human beings without seeing any of the issues, not just about ethical tourism. It's also about, you know, 
foreign interference in right. other cultures and in other yep. governments and things like that. So it feels so relevant. And also to your point of like history repeats itself, it always just makes me remember, oh, we haven't solved this issue. It's not that it's like right. the same thing has repeated itself. It's that we haven't learned from our mistakes. Ooh. But this is so interesting that you talked about foreign powers inserting themselves in domestic issues and domestic political agendas. And I think the tourist coming into this country is definitely the parallel that, you know, the audience focuses on because he has the most, I, he's just very blatantly out of his element. He doesn't fit in the picture of the Jimenez family, but the foreign power that is affecting the whole Jimenez family is unseen. And this one man has such an impact on their lives, just like this mm -hmm. outside country that's kind of unseen and seems insignificant um, in their lives has such an impact and, and does affect them so much. Yeah. I mean, there's my, my, one of my favorite scenes in the play is this great conversation at the end between the Taurus character, Kurt and Jose, the father in this family, whereas where Kurt is sort of talking about like, like, what would you have me do essentially? Mm -hmm. with, yeah, all this information you're sharing with me about the reality of your circumstances here. And Jose is like, get your country to stop inserting itself in our business. Get your country to stop propping up these dictators. Yeah. Like, leave us alone. Like, you guys are directly interfering and it is partially your fault. Um, right. Which is something that I, I do really like about this play is it is so unapologetically political. It is very much a call to action of people are suffering, here is exactly why, and here's exactly mm -hmm. the blame, and here's exactly how this industry of voyeuristic tourism is playing into that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, she, like, she's not pulling her punches. She's telling you, she's telling you exactly what the issue is and what to do about it. Yeah. I wanted to add, I mean, we talk about the tourist and the foreign power, but also the Jimenez family is so beautiful in its own right of just the, the, the community that they have and the little nest that they've built for each other. And I think you fall in love with them really quickly, which makes what happens to them throughout the story much more impactful. Which is the thing I also love about this play is it's like there's this whole political slant to it, but it's also like there's a little romance. You know, it's a family. Mm -hmm. It's a story about parenthood and like loving your children and the things you do to take care of your family. Right. And also like love of your country because ultimately like... right there's a lot of scenes where the people in the Jimenez family are talking about how these wonderful memories they have of being kids here and like how they used to play mm -hmm. together and you know all the things they used to do and the foods they used to eat and all these things and it's like your home is your home you know which yeah. means when people come in and screw with it and it ruins everything it hurts all the more because you care so much history yeah. So, Sky, what actually does happen is this play? What is this play yeah. about? So this play, as we have alluded to, takes place in an unnamed Spanish-speaking country, which is currently existing under a brutal, horrific fascist dictatorship. It's unclear when this play takes place. It could have been 50 years ago. It could be now. And at the start of this play, we meet the Jimenez family who live in this country. They are low on money and they're contemplating hosting a foreign tourist for the summer in their home in the hopes of making a little extra money. So we have Jose, the patriarch, and his wife, Felisa. And the play opens with them sort of debating the pros and cons of this situation. They don't really want to invite a stranger into their home. 
But on the other hand, they have a son, Victor, who is currently studying in the university and they want to support him. And they have a daughter, Mariana, who works as a teacher, but obviously doesn't make enough to support them either. And they lament their reduced financial status, which is due to the current regime and the inflation and the horrible financial decisions and the blockades and all these things that this terrible dictatorship is imposing on the people. And they're interrupted in this conversation by the arrival of a close family friend, this young man named Roman, who comes in with another old friend of the family, Santiago, saying that he found Santiago lurking around the outside of the house. And Roman accuses Santiago of eavesdropping on the family and being a government informer. Because obviously, Ugh. it's this world of this brutal dictatorship where you're always afraid of who might inform on you. You know, dissidents are punished. Right. Kind of a don't trust your neighbors exactly. sentiment. So there's very much creating this aura of mistrust and fear that you're really feeling in this country and in these circumstances. And Roman accuses Santiago of this because he says that Santiago was responsible for the recent arrest of this really popular professor at the university that Victor Jimenez goes to, which was this whole big scandal. And so Jose finally diffuses the situation, saying that although Santiago is welcome to visit anytime as a friend, he wants nothing to do with Santiago's business or his politics and basically throws Santiago out of the house. Santiago departs in a huff. And so after this altercation, Jose is like, all right, things are really bad. We need the money. I'm going to go to the airport and see if I can pick up a, a tourist and get them to come stay in our house. So he leaves. Meanwhile, we have this cute little scene with Mariana, the daughter in the family, and Roman. They've known each other their whole lives. Mm -hmm. They have this whole conversation about all the things they used to do and all the things they hope they'll do in their lives. Roman is clearly fairly political and very unafraid of being critical of the current government. Mariana, although she clearly agrees with him, is much more pragmatic about like, you need to be careful what you say. But they, they have this lovely scene where they're sort of just dreaming about a different future they could have. So this is interrupted by Jose returning from the airport with a tourist. He has succeeded in his quest to find a foreign tourist. Woohoo! <laughs> well, maybe not woohoo. Uh, so he found this man named Kurt. We don't know where Kurt is from. He could be from anywhere. And he's like this fairly normal, nice-ish guy, but also clearly like a little out of touch. So he's like going on about how utterly charmed he is by this quote, happy country that he finds himself in. And he's, you know, going on about like, oh, it's so quaint and the people are so nice and it's so beautiful and how lucky you are to live here. That sort of thing. The Jimenezes <laughs> are being like, yeah, dude, absolutely. Sort of just going <laughs> along with it, trying to make him comfortable, not really saying too much. The thing that is interesting about Kurt as a character is he's not like an evil, outwardly racist, horrible human being. He's the sort of nice white tourist kind of vibe where it's like out of touch. Right. <laughs> that speaks to the systemic nature of, of racism. It's like, you know, you don't set out to be a racist, but throughout your actions and your intentions might not be negative, but your actions are implicitly racist because of learned behavior and taught behavior that you didn't that you don't acknowledge as racist so you don't realize are racist and that's that's a lot of kurt's behavior for sure mm -hmm. so kurt comes in they're trying to make him comfortable and all while like trying to also hide the sort of desperation of their financial situation some time passes kurt's planning on being there the whole summer so some time passes and kurt's been exploring the country but like only the sort of 
as we talked about, like that sanitized version of the country, like the tourist spots and the beaches and all these things. In his time there, it also becomes clear that Kurt has developed some feelings for Mariana, who's just very clearly uninterested, but it causes also some tension between Kurt and Roman because Roman obviously has sort of that more of that connection with Mariana and clearly was already kind of fed up with Kurt's behavior. But the fact that he's trying to flirt with Mariana all the time clearly is not sitting well with Roman. So one evening, uh, the family and Kurt are all at home and then Roman comes running in in a whole uproar with the terrible news that they're bunch of demonstrations have broken out downtown over the detainment of a professor who had been arrested for speaking out against the government. And there are all these student protests and things happening downtown and mass arrests going on. And Victor Jimenez, the son and the family, happened to be passing through, wasn't involved in any of the protests, but because he was there, was arrested as well. The family is devastated and are really afraid from him, obviously, because this is this is the type of fascist regime where it's like people disappear you know dissidents are punished Mm -hmm. you don't hear from people again kurt continues to not really understand like why they're so afraid more of just being out of touch so some more time passes the family has not been able to see victor at all or if they do it's like with the guards sitting there so like they can't really tell like victor is not really able to talk to them openly so they can't really tell like if he's being treated well or if he's okay and kurt meanwhile keeps being like Oh, but like justice will out. Like, of course, like he'll be, he's innocent. So of course he'll be free. You shouldn't worry. There's all these scenes where Jose, who's like, Jose is such a lovely character because he has all these speeches, the father, Jose, he's very much the sort of person that preaches love and patience and is like, we have to take the moral high ground. Mm -hmm. We have to be better than these people. But he's also a realist where it's like, you know, Kurt keeps coming in and being like, justice will out. And Jose is like very kindly, but firmly explaining to him, maybe that's true for you. But that is not the case here. We don't have any hope that we or belief that we will see our son again. And so out of desperation, Jose tries to reach out to that guy, Santiago, from the first scene, who has the government contacts, who is more in with the current regime and is like, you know, please help us. Can you do you know anyone? Do you know anything? Is there any way you can help us get our son out? He's innocent, please. But Santiago has become a true believer in the regime and refuses. And there's this like super cool sequence where like Marusha Vialta does very does a lot of stuff with uh, theatrical form. And so there's like kind of this surrealist moment where like Santiago gets transformed into like this larger than life dictator as he's saying these horrible things. Very cool theatrical moment. So anyway, he leaves, he refuses. And that's kind of the family's last hope. Roman has only become more agitated and radicalized by the last few months and what's happened to Victor, uh, which is clearly unsettling Mariana. She's getting really afraid for what'll happen to him. Kurt's maybe becoming slightly more understanding of what's going on. And he proposes to Mariana. They have this whole conversation where that's actually kind of lovely, where he's like, there's snow. And she's like, I've always wanted to see snow. And, and she's clearly like a character with dreams and aspirations. Like Mariana's conversations with other people are about like the future she could have and like the, the larger world. He proposes to her and she turns him down for Roman. You know, he gets that. He's like, is it about Roman? And she says, yes. And he says, all right. And that's sort of the end of it. I mean, maybe that's his most, I feel like that's his most self-aware moment yes. in the play. I mean, the fact that he proposes in itself just shows a oh, lack yeah. <laughs> of self-awareness, but his reaction to her turning him down is very much like, yeah, okay, yeah. I see where I Well, it's <laughs> like, you know, you don't, like, you don't love this woman. You're just sort of infatuated by this idea of her. 
Exactly. It's a tad bit fetishizing. So at long last, Kurt's about to leave. The family has all but lost hope, but suddenly at the very last 11th hour, the news finally comes through that Victor is going to be freed. Justice has won. The government has decided he was innocent. He's coming home that night. So the family Amazing. rushes around. They're preparing the house. Felisa is always is, has this lovely thing. She's like, I'm going to make up his bedroom just so he likes it. And Kurt notices that Jose seems to still be kind of unsettled. And he's like, why are you, why are you unhappy? He's going to be freed. Everything's going to be fine. And Jose says... Yes, Victor is coming home, but nothing has actually changed. And what happens next time? And what happens to all those other students who are also kids, who also didn't do anything wrong, who also aren't coming home? Mm. And Kurt says, like, well, what would you have me do? What, what do we do? And Jose says, if Kurt has gotten anything out of his trip here in this country, let it be to go home and try and stop his own government from interfering in their country and stop propping up these dictatorships and turning a blind eye to what's going on for profit. And Kurt seems fairly receptive, but still kind of uncomprehending. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. you hear it, but you're not really hearing it. In the middle of this conversation, as the family's running about, Roman comes in with the news that Victor won't be coming home after all because he's been killed. Oh. At the last hour, the government changed their mind. He's been killed as a dissident. And... Everyone reacts to this news differently, obviously. Grief, you know, affects us differently. Roman becomes completely radicalized and storms off, basically, with the implication being that he's going to go riot, essentially. That, that, you know, he's now become a total revolutionary. Mariana runs after him. She's terrified what he's going to do, whether he's going to be okay. Kurt somewhat awkwardly just is like, all right, bye, goodbye. He leaves. He goes home to his home country, leaving just... Jose and Felisa left wondering how they're supposed to keep staying true to those ideals. They've talked about this whole time of believing in love, believing in patience, believing in nonviolence and choosing the high road, but facing the loss of their child, their son. How are they supposed to choose love when all they're capable of feeling is anger, obviously, at what this regime has done to them and what they've lost and the lack of hope that anything will change? So they're just sort of a left alone in this house, wondering if the outside world will ever truly understand what this feels like, whether the Kurtz of the world will ever do anything. And that's where the play ends. Uh, it's such a hard moment at the end there. As an audience member, I was waiting for the shoe to drop. And when it did, it was still so heartbreaking. Well, we didn't talk about in the summaries that it's been a, a while since he'd been in that prison. Yeah. So they never really got to say goodbye. It's just uh, heartbreaking. I love that conversation at the end of this play. You know, revolutionaries or minority folks are policed in the way they protest of like, I mean, literally, right. but also like, you know, you're you're allowed to protest, but not too loudly. Mm -hmm. you, can, you have to be non-angry. You have to be non-violent. You have to be all these things. And it's like, how do you keep doing that when everything's been taken from you? Yeah. And it also, it's not like, how do you keep doing that when it clearly doesn't work? It's like yeah, you're punished yeah. even more when you do it loudly, but even when you do it quietly and you follow the rules, it doesn't work. So like, what are you left with? And I think that's something that is relatable today. It's just like the riots and the burnings and the destroying of property is what gets people attention and what gets people talking. So that feels like the only recourse when mm -hmm. you've tried following the rules, you've written the essays, you've talked to the people in charge, you know, you've organized your community, you've done the marches, and that still isn't changing policy. It's like, okay, well, now I'm going to go break some stuff, you know, <laughs> and maybe mm -hmm, this time yeah. you'll understand. 
Especially because like the Jimenez family, with the exception of Roman, so much of all of their attitudes are just like, we know this is bad, but we're just going to keep our heads down. We're going to look after our family. We're going to just try and get by as the four of us obviously worry about the outside world, but they're they're not the people going to protest. They're right. the people just trying to figure out how to afford bread. Right, right. And they still lose their son. Right. Right. That's that's exactly that. It's like they're not even they're not even trying to talk quietly. They're literally just trying to live life. And yet they're still affected by this. So, I mean, I understand why Roman is like, you know what? I have to speak even louder because this family that I want to be a part of is mm -hmm. is being affected by this thing that they don't really want anything to do with. They just want to live their life normally and, yeah. and be able to survive. And yet they still are affected by this. So it's like some people just got to speak even louder for the people that either don't want to or don't feel like they can. Yeah. It's rough. It's it's rough. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, but it's also beautiful. There's a lot of really beautiful scenes between the family members, between Mariana and Roman, between, that scene between... Kurt and the postman it's like very human characters mm -hmm. where it's like all this stuff is going on but still you find the moments of love you still find the moments of connection and of hope and all these things so it it is a tragedy but it's a tragedy that like makes you want to go do things right. as opposed to like shut down right right right, right. Which, which is we need more of which is why it's a classic <laughs> legacy tell us about this woman who wrote this amazing play Absolutely. So the wonderful woman behind this play is Marusha Vidalta. So Marusha Vidalta was born actually in Barcelona, Spain in 1932. So that's southern Spain. Uh, her father was one of the founders of the Esquerra Republican Party. Organization still exists to this day, very left-leaning political party in Spain that emphasizes social welfare, workers' rights, and Catalan independence from Spain. Uh, Marusha obviously comes from this like very political, very educated, uh, very left-leaning background, and that, I think, influences a lot of the work she will go on to create. This is Spain in the 1930s, and they are a left-leaning political family. So in 1936, Spain began a horrible civil war. This is the era of Franco, terrible fascist regime and the family fled Spain and went into the exile in Brussels. So she, you know, was there for very little of her life. The family eventually made it to Mexico City in 1939, which is where Marusha would go on to live for the rest of her life. So she's Catalan born, but raised, educated, lived out her most most of her life in Mexico. And she became a Mexican citizen by the age of eight. She is schooled in the French baccalaureate system. Me too. Shout out Shannon. <laughs> <laughs> she went on to graduate from university and study for her master's in Spanish literature at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. So again, highly educated, very interested in Spanish history and literature, in Latin American history and literature and politics. And so her writing career actually started as a novelist. She published a couple of novels. Her first works were El Castigo, which is The Punishment in 1957, Los Desorientados, which is The Disoriented Ones, which had several reprints, and Dos Colores para el Paisaje, which is Two Colors to the Landscape. And after the success of The Disoriented Ones, she actually adapted it into a play and thus began her career as a playwright. Thank goodness. Um, she was critically acclaimed, nationally recognized. Her work has been translated and produced internationally in many countries, including the U.S. And she's like a 
famous Mexican playwright. Like she, she was big there. A lot of critics noted her work's ability to sort of defy genre. Oftentimes she does a lot of political work, but her work borrows from the traditions of absurdism and Brechtian theater, epic theater, experimental work. She herself did not really identify as being like in one sort of school of theater or genre or tradition, but has talked a lot about Ionesco being an influence. My fave. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and a lot of her plays obviously have these very political themes. Happy Country being one of them. Happy Country had a long run in Mexico when it opened. It was very well-received by the critics. So she just has this very long, well-rounded career of writing a lot. Uh, in her later life, she went on to teach. She taught a bunch of workshops and classes and master classes, mostly in theater and writing, both in Mexico and then internationally. There was a, uh, she taught at some conferences here in New York even. So she really was just sort of like a master in her field and like throughout her whole career was very unafraid of experimenting with form, having theater that was not strict naturalism, but spoke to very pressing political and social themes. And she lived in Mexico City her whole life. She died at the age of 81 on August 19th, 2014. So not that long ago and was, you know, working and teaching up until pretty close to her death. So she's had this like extraordinary career right very impressive high achieving woman highly educated prolific writer that we just like don't know about much in the u.s <laughs> i know i think that's something that um why this project is so wonderful especially in the u.s is 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 the need for varied perspectives i think back of you know when you go to to london i'm not saying that one experience is better than the other i feel like there's a lot of great things about american theater but when you go to London, you have the ability to experience different theater. And I just, there's one example that comes to mind is we were watching a show and it was a French show and it's performed in French with subtitles. And, and that makes it accessible, not just to people who don't speak the language, but also people who are deaf and who don't, who are hard of hearing, who can, you know, go to the theater and have that experience. I don't know. This just speaks to accessibility. That's something oh, yeah. that we're working towards here in the U.S. that we just aren't yeah. yeah. And also, like, I want to shout out, like, we here at Expand the Canon are the biggest fans of translators. Of course. Um, yes. I am absolutely like I if this project has taught me nothing, it is how undervalued translation is as a practiced an artistry. The copy of this play that we have on our list was translated by Edward Huberman, who has translated a number of Vidalta's other works as well. But we are always looking for new translations. I hope other people who potentially listen to this podcast or find our website go do new translations, both of this play and of her other works. You know, these translations, like any other way of sort of repurposing or refinding theater should and can evolve over time. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd be really interested to hear like what a different translator found in this play or what a different translator found in any of uh, Bilalta's other works. And so keep, keep doing the good work, translators. <laughs> we love you. <laughs> now, please enjoy the following scene between Mariana played by Mariana Mondragon, and Roman, played by Reza Salazar. You have a pretty view from this terrace. It overlooks a good part of the city. We could even see a bit of the ocean if it weren't for those houses. When I was a little girl, I used to think that when I became taller, I'd be able to see the ocean from here. Some things are so close, yet one can never reach them. What things? What is it that you would like to reach? I don't know. 
Or perhaps I do, but I wouldn't know how to explain it to you. I should like to turn a bit of myself into a part of everything. Into the silence one hears at times on this terrace. Louder than any noise. So very loud. Or into something that crackles and shakes and nobody knows what it is. To be that light turning on and off. For a few moments I like to be that. I want to be everything that's mysterious. Or to be a moment. Only a moment in somebody's life. But a moment of my own choice. If you like the view from our terrace, why don't you come more often? You're right. I'll come. Thank you for not speaking to me about Santiago Roldan. I'm sure he came to spy. And perhaps he was even looking for me. He knows I'm not a conformist. He must think we're cooking up something against the government. What foolishness? It's no foolishness. It's what we ought to be doing. Yes, I know. I'll be quiet. No violence. I'll be silent. And now come the words of wisdom from teacher. You're not one of my pupils. How's school going? Next week vacation begins. I'm afraid I won't have my job after that. Why not? I feel I'm being watched all the time. Some mornings the principal barges into my room three or four times. They seem to have no confidence in me. I suppose it's because I'm just a beginner and because I'm only 19. They'd watch you just as much as if you were 80. They have their devices. You're a new teacher and they have to be sure you're working according to their rules. Of course, you're only teaching children who are learning to read, but children learning to read are also important. Perhaps they are the most important. I have to tell them we're praying to God to help us conquer the enemy. As if we were at war. The enemy. I was told from the first, the very day I arrived, the enemy. Teach them to be against the enemy. There's so little, Roman. Who is? What is the enemy? The children think of it as a single person or a strange creature. Perhaps a frightful devil or a monster. If it were that simple, if there were just one enemy for all men, but the people pointed out to them as the enemy are perhaps their own families, their own parents. Why do they have to involve the children in all this? They're so little. One day they'll be grown up. The seed is being sown. When the children are grown up, they'll have their own standards and they can judge for themselves. The situation can't last. But it has already lasted a long time. Yes, a long time. Remember, my sweet, not to fill your little head with too many ideas. Don't think too much. That's another one of their rules. Eat, drink, and don't analyze. The government will do all the thinking for you. Don't talk in such a tone. You're sweet. Let's think only about your being sweet and our being young. Do you always do just as you please? Always. What would you like now? I should like it to be morning and to have wakened at your side. I should like to wake up at your side every morning. At your side, opposite a window. I would have a window for you alone. A window and a tortoise shell comb and some silver slippers. And each morning I will put on my tool leather belt. And you will look at me, combing your hair with a tortoise shell comb. Your hair so long it reaches the floor. 
combing your hair. Fortunately, there are no flowers on this terrace. No flowers? If we had flowers and perhaps a bit of moonlight, we'd be playing the most ridiculous scene of our lives. At times, the ridiculous is inoffensive and merry. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mariana and Reza. Thank you for joining us for our A Happy Country edition of This is a Classic, the Expand the Canon podcast. Learn more at expandthecanon.com. And if you believe in the importance of expanding the canon, please, please, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to this podcast. Yes, and then hit the share button and forward it along to a friend, colleague, professor, family member you haven't talked to in five years. Great conversation starter. For info on what's up next, you can follow us on Instagram at Hedgepig Ensemble Theater or on Facebook slash Hedgepig Ensemble Theater or you can join our mailing list at hedgepigensemble.org. You can also support this effort by donating at the link in the comments below. Once again, I am Sky Pagan and I'm Shannon Corinthian. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. See you next time, folks. Dum, dum.